Welcome to Traveling Down Biblical Archaeology, 21st century. And uh, we are now in the 24th year of the 21st century. Hope you're having a good one. Uh, normally at this time, I would be at Tal El Hammam in Jordan. Where would you be? I think I'd be right there too. <laughs> Running the show. Well, this is, I'm Gary Byers. This is Dr. Stephen Collins. Yeah, Daniel's about, we'd be at the Movenpick. Oh, we'd yes. Be, we'd be 1,300 feet below sea level, eating great food Sweet. at our headquarter hotel, the Movenpick, near the Dead Sea. Yep, that's, uh, that's the hotel to be at if you're going to be on a dig, not in a tent on the site. So we're, um, we're, we are here in Albuquerque, and we're sharing with you uh, just the great story of how our excavation got started at Tal El Hammam. You went to that particular site because for five years or more, in your analysis of the biblical text, you thought Tal El Hammam was a good candidate to be Sodom of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, we just didn't run into this site just, you know, <laughs> blindly walking around and, oh, what's this? No, we, it started with, with several years of very intense textual analysis, uh, the geographical analysis that the text uh, gave to us that we must do. And so not only was it in the text, it was in Jordan, it was on the ground. We had to be on the ground looking at sites, looking at the topography, looking at the geography, uh, as the Bible had described for the famous cities of the plain, the city of Sodom. And so we did that for about five years. And um, we found Tal El Hammam early on. Of course, we went to every single archaeological site in that area the Bible calls the Kikar of the Jordan, uh, right north of the Dead Sea. And... Um, it was the biggest one, uh, biggest Bronze Age site in that whole region. And we thought, hmm, the Bible seems to indicate that Sodom was the biggest among all of these cities. It's always mentioned first. It's the only one ever mentioned by itself. It's the only one that has a king with a voice. I mean, it seems to be the most important city. And so it was all not totally a no-brainer, but almost a no-brainer that the Bible was telling us that Sodom was the largest Bronze Age city northeast of the Dead Sea. And so... When we looked at all the sites in that area, we gravitated toward the largest Bronze Age site, and not just larger, but larger by several orders of magnitude. Yeah, yeah. It was a mammoth site that we now know is the largest continuously occupied Bronze Age city in the entire southern yeah. Levant. Yeah. So um, it was a big site. It was an important site. And the more we excavated it, the, more, the bigger and more important it got. Yeah. Yeah. But back to this little issue that we started last time, when um, uh, Gene Hall, who's been on the Manhattan Project and actually uh, at the explosion site of the first atomic bomb at the Trinity site, uh, who caught this shirt as I tossed it up uh, out of the square, and he tells me, oh, this looks like Trinitite, and I heard the word for the first time, and then, and then um, I heard it again when it went to New Mexico Tech. Now, we talked about Dr. David Burley and how he hooked us up with the right people uh, to get the... Um, in fact, he's the one that sliced this thing up. <laughs> so uh, sliced it up, got, uh, got the uh, samples prepared to go into the, um, the um, scanning ele electron microscope. This one's a kind of a glorified uh, S, uh, SE, um, SEM, we call SEM. it. Uh, Kamika 100 uh, has all the bells and whistles not to, not to just magnify stuff. 
you know, hugely, but also to shoot a little uh, electron beam through it and tell you exactly what it is. You know, give the chemical signature, mineral, yeah. mineralogical yeah. signature for stuff. And so um, anyway, so um, he says, uh, we've we taken this to him, given it to him. And then uh, Danette and I came back to Albuquerque. And after a couple of weeks, he had it ready. We made another appointment, went down. And we, uh, day, uh, Dr. Burley and Danette and I walked the sample over. And I had this in my hand. He gave it back to me. And uh, walked it over to the USGS, uh, US Geological Survey lab. They're the ones that ha had the le electron yeah. microscope. And um, so I walked in, and it was Dr. Nelia Dunbar uh, who was going to do the uh, analysis. And um, so um, we get in there, and Dr. Burley gives her the, the samples to put into the machine, and, and, I, and I handed her this. And when I handed her this, First words out of her mouth was, oh, nice piece of trinitite. You knew about it by then, didn't you? <laughs> I knew about it by then, but this was the second time yeah. I'd handed it to a person who knew trinitite intimately and who looked at this particular shirt of pottery with its melted surface and said, oh, looks like trinitite. Now she said, and then she turned it over and she said, oh, it's pottery. Where did you, where did this come from? Well, if she looked at the lab sheet, you know, it had it right on there where it came from and all that. I said, never mind, just uh, do the test. But she knew where it came from. Right. But, um, but, but not the reason. I mean, she's just looking at this with no connections to anything whatsoever. She's a good scientist, just doing science. So, um. They start to do the analysis. And there's a screen uh, about like yay, you know, about like that. And so it's right there, and Dr. Dunbar is here, and I think Dr. Burley's sitting over here, and I'm sitting right here. And here's the screen. And she, up on the screen, starts to come stuff that's magnified what, thousands and thousands of times. And so we're looking at this. And one of, the things, one of the things that came up on the screen uh, was this very top layer, a melt layer right, right in here. And so that glass. Can I hold it she, and keep talking? Yeah, she looked at it and she said, um, this is really interesting. She says, this has the quench texture of volcanic glass. Quench Texture, texture of volcanic glass. Right. Magma uh, like spewed into cool air or into water that solidifies quickly and forms volcanic glass as opposed to just, you know, a bubbly lava like we like we think of yeah. basalt. Um, and she happens to be an expert in that. She also happens to know the Trinitite. What's interesting is that right above us, right above us, in the floor right above where we're working is the Mineralogical Museum, the Geological Museum, with all the rocks from the whole region and all that. Well, they have a display case up there full of Trinitite from the yeah. Trinity site. Yeah. And, um, and so everybody knew, knew this stuff really, really well. They, were, they hang around it every day. 
And um, so when she said, oh, you know, nice piece of Trinitite, well, that, that was obvious. Everybody that sees this, yeah. that doesn't know what it is, thinks it's Trinitite, yeah. but it's not. Now, why do they even think that? They think that because it has this, uh, the same kind of separations, like this calcium separating out of the melted glass and, and carbon, this black stuff separating out of the melted glass. You look at Trinitite, it has the same features. And so um, when, uh, when she gets this under the electron microscope, there, there's this thing now on the screen. Here's the screen, and now this thing is on the screen. It looks like a basketball. In fact, on the screen, it's about the size of a basketball. And it's just a, just a big bubble-looking thing. And, um, and uh, Dr. Dunbar says to me, do you know what that is? See, there we go again. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't. You know, I have no clue. What, what is that? And she said, it's a, it's a zircon crystal. And, you know, uh, quartz crystals and zircon crystals and all kinds of silica-based minerals are in sand. That's what sand is. And pottery is made, has a lot of silica base in it. And um, so here's a, uh, a zircon crystal. And um, I said, well, it doesn't look much like a crystal. I think I said something like that. He said, well, it's melted. It got heated to the point where it lost its angularity and became a, just kind of a droplet. Yeah. I said, well, yeah, okay, that's weird. And by the way, the zircon was not in the melted part of the glass. It was underneath it, right in the oh. middle of the shirt, in, a place, in, an, in an area that's kind of discolored, but it's not melted. So this is not on the melt, this is not part of the melted surface. This is underneath it by probably at least an eighth of an inch or so. Okay, so that's interesting. So here's this thing, this bubble. I'm saying, okay, um, what temperature does it take to do that? If you're going to take a zircon and you're going to melt it so that it becomes a droplet, loses its angularity, uh, give, give me a ballpark. She said, about 20... Eight twenty nine hundred degrees centigrade, aka over four thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, that's pretty toasty, um, considering that volcanic magma is somewhere between eighteen hundred and twenty two hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Wow! Wow! So this is twice the temperature of volcanic magma, which is the hottest stuff you can get on planet Earth. Geologically. And that's not what's on the surface. That's what was down in here. That was down inside of it. Well, then she goes over to another location and she sees another one of these sort of melted zircons. But it has little bubbles inside of it. I didn't know they were bubbles. She did it again, right? Do you know what those are? <laughs> no, I don't. Those are... Those are little bubbles. It's off-gassing. The zircon started to boil. Not only was it melted, it had started to boil. Now, you know what happens when you boil water. What starts to happen? First thing that happens, you know it's boiling? 
little bubbles start to happen. Well, this thing had started to boil, and at what temperature? I said, well, what temperature does it take to do that? She said about 3,900 degrees Celsius, over 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. I said, okay, okay. Now, so then I asked the, the obvious question. If we're getting that kind of temperature down away from the melted glass part, the surface glass, then what was the, what was the air temperature, what was the exposure temperature to the surface required to do that on the inside? If it's that hot, hot in the middle, what was it on the surface? And she said, well, I don't, we don't have a machine that can measure that. I think David Burley said at that point, well, we do have a machine that will measure that, but it's broke. Ah. It's broken. So we he's ear hustling during this whole yeah. show. Oh, yeah. 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 He's in on it. Yeah. So um, I said, okay, but just, and, and there were some other features here, by the way. If you look, Gary, right, there's a couple of little places. If you look right here, right there, what's happening? The melt is yeah. starting to go yeah. over the edge of the break. So like right here, look at that. Yeah. The right here, the the melted surface is starting to flow over the edge of the break. So it this this vessel had broken. This piece had broken off from the vessel and in that instant of time this melt goes over into the break. Yep. Now, um which means that that melt is post break. I'll hold it up for them to and so here's the answer I got. And I'm, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm remembering here kind of the conversation, but basically the conversation can be summarized like this. We don't know what the temperature is, but it was hot enough to melt the, to melt the surface kale. And this is actually to melt the clay itself into glass, but it was quick enough not to melt the whole thing. If the, if, the, if the temperature required to melt this and to boil that zircon had been sustained for more than a second, maybe second and a half, two seconds, this whole thing would be a little puddle of glass. It would be kind of like that. Much more like this. And what is this? That's a melted mud brick. Now, piece our, of a mud brick. In in our world, our our mud bricks, are, the clay, they are they are um, uh, they're, they're they're fired in a kiln. In the Bible world, they tend to, tended not to do that. Of course, we know in Babylon they did the Daniel story. But this was a this was a regular mud brick uh, with, and you can even see evidences of the um, of the uh, mortar uh, clay that was in it. Um, <laughs> A temper that was in it and other things. So this was melted, much, much more melted than your than your shirt was. Yeah. You see the little fistules in it, the little little bubbles yeah. and all that. It looks more like magma. Yeah. It's kind of it like volcanic that. rock. Yeah. And uh, this thing was melting and off gassing. Yeah. So this thing was melted and yes. boiling. Yes, the holes were for the off. But this thing was melted so quickly that even when some of the interior <laughs> 
crystals boiled. It was quenched quick enough. The heat was only a flash. And that was the point. The point was that the flash heating of this area was so quick that as to produce kind of rarely actually uh, this kind of effect on the surfaces of some pots. Now the pot would obviously have to be on the roof or out in the open, maximally exposed to this blast of heat yeah. as it came in. Um, here's another piece, by the way, Gary. This one's interesting because we were just sitting here a while ago and decided that these actually go together, even though they came from two different locuses on the lower city. Which, which means this vessel that was at one yeah. time together, it was found in different places. Yeah. yeah, so there it is. There's the rim on top. And you can see here, now what's interesting about this, and I'm going to take this, the rim away, because this is the interesting piece. I want you to see this. It's melted. It's glass. It's greenish. By the way, the pottery here is not even greenish. Yeah. It's a reddish pottery, but the resultant melted glass is greenish like this. Yeah. And it's boiling. Yeah. It's bubbling. You can see the bubbles are... Yeah. rising up and popping, okay? So it looks very much like a piece of lava rock. But I want you to see, it's really hot here. It's boiling. As you move around, now this, this is the proper stance of the vessel. The vessel's like this. So this is the neck of the vessel. If you move around the neck of the vessel, it stops being melted and is just simply scorched really good. On that side. And if you move around the, the neck a little bit further, the scorch disappears and it's just, the pottery's just normal. So see it? See that reddish? That's the same color as the inside. Okay, so this part is not scorched. This, if you move around it, it becomes scorched. If you move around it a little further, it becomes melted and bubbling. What does that tell you? It tells you the heat source. It's coming from one direction. Real hot, real fast from one direction. From one direction. So one side of the neck is not even getting any exposure at all. The other side of the neck is being melted. And so there you go. Um, why were we finding this stuff? And this was happening pretty early. This was, uh, this was 2009, 2010. We, uh, we mark all of our pottery, where it came from, so we, we know exactly the, the situation, its local situation, in situ, in situation. Yeah. And so we've got these marked. 2005, 2006. Yeah. 2009, 2010. Of course, we're starting in December and going over yeah. into the, to the new year. That's why we have the two dates. But um, we keep finding this. And um, in fact, in the palace, I think this came out of one of your squares, Gary, we, we pulled out buckets of this stuff. Mm -hmm. We didn't keep it all. We took yeah. some pieces of it back for sampling. But, you know, we, we, we just hauled out buckets of this stuff. So this Melted. would have been on the outside, on the top, on the outside of the wall, where it what could get that full Maybe exposure. right up on the most exposed parapets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of the palace but, itself. But so there was some kind of blast of heat. And not, we're not talking about sunburn here. We're talking about heat hot enough to vaporize anything organic like people or animals. Yeah. We're talking about, and, and 
I couldn't get a temperature out of Dr. <laughs> Dunbar or Dr. Burley. Wouldn't give me a temperature. Um, Good okay. scientists, not going to But in order to do this, how hot does it have to be to melt it, but not melt the whole thing? To melt the surface, but not melt the whole thing? To cause a boiled zircon, but not melt the whole thing? How quick? And so we all agreed that somewhere upwards of maybe around 15, 20,000 degrees or more Fahrenheit for a minute fraction of a second. Okay, um, we got more. We got more. Uh, we got more to talk about with this. Um, this is this was the genesis of the theories behind what happened at Tal al Hammam, what happened at Sodom in the Bible. So uh, we got more to finish this particular part of the story up. Uh, we're glad to have you with us, and uh, may uh, may may your Bible come alive as you think about some of these scientific possibilities related to what we read in Scripture. This is Troweling Down, Biblical Archaeology for the 21st Century. Thanks for joining us. Join us next time as we finish up this story.